Morning Bridge, how we doing, guys? So good to see you this morning. You're doing good. You look good over there, man. This group looks good. You ought to tell them they look good. Tell them they look good. You guys look good. You, you can't tell them that because it's not good to lie in church, right? You can't say that. Good to see you guys this morning. Before we get into the message time, a couple of things I want to mention. You found this in your seats today. Several people told me, okay, I've already got a list of difficult people I want to give these to and <laughs> try to get them here. That's not the idea, okay? If you've got some, uh, some difficult people you need to deal with or you know people who are dealing with difficult people, we're going to teach them how to do that biblically. Manipulative people, codependent kind of people. We're going to dig into some of the relationships that, that quite often we get caught up in, friends, family, coworkers. Workers, uh, even fellow church members, and we're going to learn how to deal with them in a biblical kind of way. So uh, this is a great opportunity for you to, to say to that co-worker, that, uh, that person in your family, you know, the, the, my spouse has been driving me crazy, my brother-in-law has been driving me crazy, then come to church and let's learn what God says about dealing with that. Also, last week we gave you the offering fit for a king envelopes. If you weren't able to make it last Sunday, you missed yours. There's plenty back at the at the guest services desk. I'll tell you more about that in a few minutes. But I want to make you aware of that uh, because October 13th we kick off the new series. We're just expecting God to do some really cool stuff in our relationships with one another and our relationship with him. You understand that we all have vertical relationship and horizontal relationship. Am I right? So you've got a relationship with God, and then you've got a relationship with your fellow man. And the problem is, until you get this one right, these are always going to be a struggle. Can I get an amen in the room? Many of you came to him because of these struggles. And so he is the source. His word is the answer. And we're going to dig into those things, which kind of leads us into the series that we're in right now, what I'm calling Restoring Values, and specifically the values that formed our nation. Now, I know immediately uh, it, it may surprise some of you as we get into this and maybe even disappoint some of you, I don't know, that, that when I talk about the values that formed our nation uh, in this series, I'm not necessarily talking about the moral values. I'm not talking about the spiritual values that formed our nation. Obviously, those are critical issues, and, and we will deal with those in time. In fact, I'm already working on a series of messages as the Lord releases me to deal with it. We're going to deal with some of those. But in this little series, we're talking about values like, like faith, like hope like love, those kinds of things that, that uh, the Apostle Paul wrote to the church at Corinth are really the bottom line of what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Today, I want us to talk about the value of faith, and I want us to understand a little bit more about what faith looks like, but let me be clear right up front, okay? When I say faith, I'm not talking about faith as a noun. I'm not talking about faith as, a, as something that you believe. I'm talking about faith as a verb is something that you do. And so we're talking about faith in the sense of something that moves us forward into what I like to call the spirit of adventure. It won't surprise those of you that know me to hear me say I've always been a bit of an adventurer. I mean, just as a little kid, I was always curious, always what's the next hill I'm going to charge. I was just always one of those kind of guys. I'd eat anything I mean, literally, you put it in front of me and say, this is edible, I'd eat it, it didn't matter. I won't tell you some of the stuff I've tried. I will tell you that, that as an adult, I did eat a puppy one time. I'm sorry, you'll hate me from now on. But uh, I was in the Philippines, and a headhunter came walking up to me, and he had these tattoos across his arm, and every, every bracelet tattoo represented a head that he took in the headhunter wars. And he said, oh, sir, we cooked this just for you. And I said, mmm, that looks good. I want some of that. <laughs> 
<laughs> True story. Uh, so I'm just one of those guys. So just, well, he didn't. I'll even eat collards. I don't like them, but I'll eat them, okay? I remember one time when I was a kid, my parents gave me a construction set for Christmas, and it was one of those where you build bridges and, and, and things that moved. It actually had a little battery-powered motor that could lift the drawbridge and whatever. And I got this idea, well, man, if this battery uh, power is really cool, then this would be a really awesome motor if I plugged it into the light socket. And so I stripped the wires and stuck it in the light socket. Anybody want to guess what happened? <laughs> I survived, the house barely did, but <laughs> that's just kind of the way I am. That's just how things work. So when I got a letter not too long ago in the, in the mail, the outside of the envelope said, here's your passport to adventure. I thought, man, this I can't wait to open this one and see what this is, and found out it was coupons to a department store. As if a journey through Fruit of the Loom is an adventure. I don't get that one, but... Uh, I do believe in the spirit of adventure. And in case you don't know, America was built on the back of great adventurers. Anybody agree? Explorers, pioneers, trailblazers, people who took calculated risks, stepped out by faith, believing that there was something better out there, like Lewis and Clark who, who, who heard that there was a great ocean somewhere out there and went off into the beyond that no one had ever mapped before. Or Thomas Edison who said there's a better way to light homes than kerosene that was burning houses down constantly. There's just that spirit of there's got to be something better. Uh, but somewhere, here, hear my heart, uh, somewhere along the way we became a society uh, that's become more interested in safety than adventure. Hello? And I believe in safety features. I do. I think safety features are fine. I mean, when I was growing up, uh, a car seat was, we're going to close the tailgate on the back of the pickup this time. I mean, because <laughs> we were sitting on the tailgate wrestling, trying to throw each other off while Dad was driving 50 miles an hour down the highway. So he said, okay, we're going to close the tailgate this time. And if we got too far toward the tailgate, he'd slam on the brakes and roll us up back up to the front. That was safety, you know. So things have changed in my lifetime about how we view safety, and I'm all for being safe, but something happens in a society when safety outranks adventure. Ben Franklin said it this way, the spirit of adventure is the spirit of a civilization. When you remove it from a civilization, it starts to decay. I'm not talking about going crazy. I'm not talking about, you know, go walk down a, a dark street at night and see what happens. I'm not... You know, I'm not talking about doing stupid stuff. I'm not suggesting you go swimming in a thunderstorm. I, I'm not an idiot. But somehow, when a society becomes so fearful that we won't even tear the tags off of pillows because we're afraid the police are going to come get us, <laughs> something's wrong. I think there's lots of reasons why we got there. I think litigation is a big piece of it. We've become a litigious society. Anybody agree with this? So we kind of live in fear of being sued all the time. You notice warning labels on everything now? <laughs> Is it true? I mean, ladders have a warning label that say, don't lean this metal ladder up against an electric uh, line. Who, who did that? I mean, lawnmower. Have you looked at your lawnmower lately? It's got a warning label on it that says, don't put your feet or hands under this thing while the motor is running. I just, who, who, wh how, wh how did we get here? 
I've thought about putting warning labels on my sermons. Warning, the, the Bible might be hazardous to your sinful lifestyle or something. <laughs> I think another reason that we've kind of become this safety conscious uh, society is, frankly, we're just getting older. That's just true. I mean, a third of the population is now baby boomers. 10,000 boomers turn 65 every day in America right now. So, you know, there's a point in life where you kind of stop thinking about adventure and start thinking about retirement. You start going, yeah, take it easy. And we rebelled in the 60s and we were adventurous in the 70s and now we're trying to mellow out. You know the definition of mellow, right? It's the stage a banana gets to just after it's ripe and just before it's rotten. I don't know about you, but I have no desire to be mellow. I will not be mellow. Forget about mellow. But some people say that it has nothing to do with, with being litigious. It has nothing to do with getting older. It's just simply because we've, be, we, we've become a nation that would rather watch it on TV than do it. I mean, I like adventure. Just don't make me get off the couch. I mean, it's good to th- Kind of where our world is these days. Anybody, I mean, I could go on with this, but I want to get into the Word this morning. Uh, anybody who agree with me that God never intended life to be a spectator sport? Here's what Jesus said. I like the way the Amplified paraphrases that John 10, 10, I came to you that you might have and enjoy life and have it in abundance to the full till it overflows. Doesn't sound like couch potato to me, does it to you? God created life so we could enjoy it, so that we could live it, not endure it. And he gave us, I think he gave all of us the spirit of wonder, the spirit of of questioning, the spirit of adventure in all of us. It's just kind of gotten buried under stuff over the years. Dr. Glenn Williamson from the Maryland Psychological Research Center says, man was not created to be safe. If there is no risk or danger in his life, he will create it. Don't misunderstand. We've got plenty of risk takers around, and we've got race car drivers and and hang gliders and bungee cords and base jumping and and the bridge parking lot after services. We've got plenty of risk takers. We're having fun this morning. And I like roller coasters as much as the next guy. I went skydiving when I turned 50 just because I could. You know, it's just, uh, I'm just saying it's sad to me that somehow along the way, it uh, seems like the people that are looking for adventure are looking for it in places that don't eternally matter. As opposed to taking those steps of faith to say, I'm going to stretch, I'm going to grow, I'm going to take a risk, a calculated, not crazy risk, but a risk based on the call of God in my life, and I'm going to do something that is beyond me where, like Peter when he swung his leg over to the side of the boat and walked on water, if Jesus ain't in this, I'm in trouble. Somewhere along the way, that's kind of gotten buried And I want to stir it up in you today. That's just what's in my spirit. I want to stir it up in you today. Frankly, I want to stir it up in America again. But in the few minutes that we've got together, those of you that are watching online, literally many parts of the country and even the world, I want to take just a few minutes to look at Hebrews chapter 11, what what we often refer to as the Faith Hall of Fame, filled with adventurers, people who stepped out by faith and God honored that faith in amazing kinds of ways. Can't look at the whole chapter by any means in one message. Again, we'll do a whole series one day on this one. But, but I do want to draw out three. I'm going to pull 
a principle from each one of those three. And let me just say right up front, write it down and I'll sign it as a guarantee. If you live your life by these principles, you will look back one day and say, wow, look what God did with my one and only life. So take a risk. Lean into this thing and learn to live by faith. I call it living the faith adventure. But it requires three things, three principles, three examples. All right, principle number one, here we go. If I'm going to live this faith adventure, then i got to obey even when I don't understand it. i got to obey the Lord even when I don't understand what it is that he's telling me to do or where he's telling me to go. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7, it was by faith that Noah heard God's warnings about the things he could not yet see. He obeyed God and built a large boat to save his family. So many of you know the story of Noah and the, and the flood. And So put yourself in Noah's shoes for just a minute. If God came to you and said, you know, I, just, I repent for the way the world is going. Uh, you're the one righteous family that I can find, so I'm going to start over with you and your family. And so I need you to build this huge boat in the middle of the desert, and I'm going to send pairs of animals to you so you can uh, save them, and then I'm going to flood the whole world. Would you believe him? I mean, would you start building a boat tomorrow? I mean, for me, I'd have some questions, like where are we going to put the termites, Lord? I mean, you know, I just want to know some of these detailed things that you need to know about. But hear me, if Noah had any doubts, there is no record of it. He didn't, this is huge, lean in. He didn't argue about it. He didn't complain about it. He didn't delay. He obeyed. The result is he had the adventure of his lifetime and save mankind in the process. Faith is the key to unlocking the door of adventure in our lives, which sometimes mean obeying God even when I don't understand it. Okay, Jim, I hear that, but that was thousands of years ago, and that really doesn't work in the 21st century, does it? Yeah, it does. Let me give you just a couple of quick personal examples that maybe you can relate to. 1989, God called Kim and I to start a new church that was that was dedicated to reaching people that still believed in God but had given up on church. He gave us a real clear vision that, that, that people would come. This is 1989, this vision. I, I was standing on a stage with a camera over my shoulder looking out at a huge crowd of people. They were dressed casually, which was weird in 1989. And... Uh, but you could tell by the look on their face, they were hungry to know and to grow, and they were taking notes copiously as I taught. And that's the picture, that's the image, the vision that God put in my mind. And I said, well, God, where do you want me to start this church? He said, I'll tell you later, just, just commit to do it. And I went to Kim and said, we're going to plant a new church. And she said, what does that mean? I said, I don't know, we just are. Well, where are we going to do it? I don't know. We just are. Well, when are we going to do it? I don't know. God will give us direction, but we just are. Well, you can just do that. You can just start one, I guess. They all had to start somewhere. And so long story a little bit longer, we wound up in Hampton Roads, Virginia. Knew very little about Hampton Roads, maybe visited once or twice in our lives. Very overwhelmed by the tunnels and the highways and two million people. We're from small town. Kim's from Wayne County. I'm from Bladen County. We'd lived in the Philippines for eight years, you know, in the rainforest. And we've never been in a big city like this before. Overwhelmed by it. And then a real estate agent told us the cost of housing, and we gulped. It's like, ah, we don't have that kind of money. How in the world are we going to do this? But God said, 
So later on, I went back alone. Kim was tied up somewhere else. So I went back, and I'm, I'm scouting for potential places to live. I stopped at a gas station, just hitting a dead end everywhere I could turn. And I said, God, if this really is you, you're going to have to give us a place to live that's within the means that, uh, that you've provided. And I got started the car back up, and I head down a road. And within 100 yards, I saw a handmade sign that had not been there before. It said, house for rent by owner and a phone number. And I called him. And he gave us free security deposit, free first month, and said, how much can you afford? And that's what I told him, and that's what he rented it to us for. And I signed the lease without Kim even seeing the house. That's the faith part, by the way, in case you're wondering. <laughs> and I knew in that moment, okay, the adventure begins. This is how it begins. About the same time, Pastor Farrell Hardison came to a little church over here on Highway 70 called Whitley Church. Church was 70 years old and had 70 people in it. And he came in and started casting this vision for hundreds of people are going to come. And they're going to come from all over the region. And he began talking about these things that were going to happen in this church and led this church from that journey over to this side of the highway and built not only that facility that's now our kids' facility, but eventually this worship center and then started the Goldsboro campus and the Mount Olive campus. And, and it just continued to expand and grow. He didn't have a clue. I don't have, ask Farrell, did he have any idea that we would we'd, we'd impact five counties in the world within a few years? No. He just knew what God said do, so he did it. If you were here last week, you know that we announced that Jared and Amanda have accepted the call of God to, to leave us, and we're saddened by that, truly saddened by this, uh, other than we know what God is doing. And so when they accepted that call to Renovation Church, uh, we, we just, we, we're blessing them as they go. But hear me, guys, in case you're wondering about this at all, th they could have stayed here till Jesus came. When Jared told me that this is what God was saying to him, I said, well, I need you to understand you're my worship pastor. You, you, you're my guy. I, I don't want you to go anywhere. But if God's calling you, there's no way I'm standing in the way. If God's saying do it, then you've got to obey what he says. So you and Amanda have to figure out what God is saying, and then you have to do what God says. And I applaud their faith. I applaud their courage. I applaud. I can't wait to see what God's going to do uh, through their ministries as it expands. I can't wait to see what God's going to do through them, and I can't wait to see what he's going to do to provide for us because I know he's got both in, in place, trusting him with that. I need you to understand, I didn't tell you any of those stories, mine, Farrell's, or Jared's, uh, to say, look at us. We got our strengths. We got our weaknesses like everybody else. I'm just saying these principles are not outdated. They still work when you live that way. Community church and, and the bridge and uh, have touched tens of thousands of lives that are now scattered all over the world who are touching lives for Jesus Christ simply because a group of people obeyed even when they didn't understand where it was going to lead them. I think about uh, Miss Minnie, who we just celebrated her 92nd birthday, who's been in this church for how many years, Miss Minnie? Almost 90 years. Think about the changes she's watched happen and just believed that God was in it the whole way. See, the scary part of this faith adventure is the Hebrews 11.1 1 verse. This is faith is the substance of things. Anybody know that verse? Hoped for. The evidence of things 
not seen. It's not that you can hold it in your hand and say, okay, God, I see what you want to do. I can hold that in my hand. I got that. No, it's God saying, come here. Well, what do you want? Just come here. I'll show you when you get here. Just come here. Follow me. Those things sometimes look illogical, unreasonable, impossible, but that's how God works. You know why he works that way? Do you know why God works that way? Because he's given you opportunities to understand how much faith you actually have. You see, it's those moments that you determine what level of faith you're operating under. You see, he already knows. It's not for his information. It's for your information. That's how he tests our faith, to prove our faith, the Scriptures say. He's letting you see how deep your faith is by whether or not you will obey, even though you don't see where it is that he's leading you. Does that make sense? Let me illustrate it this way, okay? How many of you, when you were kids, your parents sometimes told you to do something that at the time you thought were unreasonable? Anybody? God bless that hand. God bless the rest of you just can't remember that far back. That's what's all right. Now, how many of you are parents now and you do the same thing with your kids? Yeah, for sure, because they don't see it. You're doing it, hopefully, to teach them, to develop them, to help them develop a work ethic. You're helping, you're helping them for the long run, but they don't understand what you're doing while you're doing it. Is this making sense? So how about this? When you were growing up, did your parents ever get mad at you when they asked you to do something and you obeyed, but you argued and complained and dragged around first? Did they get mad about that? Yeah. I mean, I, sometimes, you know, my dad would tell me to do stuff and I obeyed, but it wasn't because I, I believed that he had my best interest at heart. It's because I didn't want a whooping. I mean, it's just, it's, okay, yeah, dad, I'll do it. That's right. But people of faith, people that are going on this faith adventure understand uh, that they are obeying a God who loves them. Jeremiah 29, 11, you might be familiar with. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. He always has your best interest at heart when he calls you out. People of faith have learned that even when it doesn't make sense, even when it's risky, God's plans are always for my good. So they check their spirit. They seek godly counsel. Once they know it's God that's calling, they buckle their seatbelts and say, let's go. I can't wait to see what God is going to do. I asked Kim one time, has God ever asked you to do something that didn't make sense at the time, but you knew God was calling you to do it? She said, yeah, he told me to marry you. <laughs> I guess she'd say that worked out okay. I hope so. God says, I want you to live out your faith in this spirit of adventure. And sometimes that means obeying my voice even when you don't understand what I'm doing. Ready for principle two? Principle two is giving when I don't have it. Principle two, faith sometimes means giving when I don't have it. Uh, it's interesting to me when I read Hebrews chapter 11 that, uh, uh, that the first guy mentioned in the list uh, was, is in there because he gave an offering. Uh, that's just fascinating to me. I said last week, I don't know why God used money as the acid test of our faith, but he, he often did. And, and, uh, and this tells me, Hebrews 11 tells me that faith and giving go together. Of course, our guy 
this time is Abel. Abel, some of you may know, is, was the son of Adam and Eve. You know, Adam and Eve got kicked out of the garden. They went and raised a little Cain, and then they had... Tell these guys what that was later on because they didn't get it. Then they had Abel, and Abel made the faith hall of fame. And why? Because he was a giver. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 4. Here we go. It was by faith that Abel offered God a better sacrifice than Cain did. God said he was pleased with the gifts uh, Abel offered and called Abel a good man because of the amount that he gave in the offering. No? Why? Because of his faith. It wasn't how much he gave. Read the passage, Genesis 4. We don't know how much he gave. It wasn't about how much. It was about how. It wasn't about the amount. It was about the attitude behind it. It was an attitude of obedience. This is how God said do it. Therefore, this is what I'm going to do. You see, there's two issues when it comes to giving. Issue one, people tend to pay attention to, to how much, whether we're talking about time or talent or finances or, or encouragement or whatever. We, people tend to look at how much. God looks at how. The motives behind it. If you're motivated by fear, you're motivated by people's expectations and you, you give out of guilt or something like that, I'm not sure it counts in eternity. It won't get you in the Faith Hall of Fame, I can tell you that. It only comes when we give by faith. Well, okay, Pastor, but how do I know the difference? Well, there's, there's two approaches to giving that are available to you that are clear. Let me just tell you what they are, and we'll move on to our third principle. There is reason and there's revelation. You can give by reason or you can give by revelation. Let's unpack those a little bit. If you're giving by reason, here's how it goes. You sit down, you do your budgets, you figure out how much money you have, you reason through what can I afford? You pick up your smartphone and you text to give and you're done. That's what you did. It doesn't require any faith. You, you might factor in the tax implications. Well, let's see, I can give this to Uncle Sam or I can take tax deduction. I can give it to the body of Christ. Or you can look at the social implications. Well, you know, offering fit for a king comes and everybody's going forward and bringing their envelope. If I don't bring one, people will go see me not bringing one. I, I, I don't want to do that. You know, so, so you can factor all that stuff in and make a decision. But there's no faith in any of that. That's not a faith issue. Or you can give by revelation. And what revelation says is, God, you've got more resources than anybody, so you tell me what you want me to do, and that's what I'll do. You tell me the amount you want me to give, because all you care about is whether I obey. All you care about is how I give. Do I give with this cheerful kind of heart? Your job, my job, simply becomes give it as he provides it, because he's the one that told us to do it. So as he provides, we we do. I've got a story I'll tell you from our own life. I'll tell you next week as we continue in this series. But for now, let me just make sure you know, God really does want to bless your life. He really does. But it's clear in Scripture that the key to that blessing is faith. It's, it's you know, without faith it's impossible to please God, Hebrews 11 says. According to your faith will it be done to you, Jesus said. And that's ultimately what offering fit for a king is all about. 
sure, we're going to receive an offering on October 6th, and sure, we're going to make sure that uh, that money goes into helping families in need and missionaries around the world and, and ministries that need to be done. Of course, we're going to be good stewards. We've got uh, great systems and processes in place and a board of directors that helps uh, Pastor Jim Gilligan, our executive pastor, to manage the finances and be good stewards. We're going to do all that stuff. But at the end of the day, it's all about you and me saying, okay, am I going to give by faith or, or reason? Reason or revelation, that's it. Like Abel, it's not about how much, it's just about how. Church of Corinth got it. Paul wrote to them in 2 Corinthians 9, 7, and 8, everyone must make up his own mind as to how much he should give. Don't force anyone to give more than he really wants to, for cheerful givers are the ones God prizes. God is able to make it up to you by giving you everything you need and more so there will not be enough for your own needs but plenty left over to give joyfully to others. Understand he was writing to a group of people who were not filthy rich, had a bucket of money they could just dip into. He was writing to faith givers. Look back at chapter 8 of 2 Corinthians. They've been tested, he said. They've been tested by great troubles and they're very poor, but they gave much because of their great joy and no one told them to. So let me be as clear as I know how. If, if you've got this offering fit for a king envelope in your hand and you're feeling pressure from Pastor Jim to give, throw it away because I'm not sure it's going to count in eternity. But if God's saying here, I want you to give in this offering and I want you to give this much, then please, I beg you, don't be afraid to respond to the voice of God. Again, I've got a story I'll share with you next week, the, the highest level that God ever tested mine and Kim's faith. And I'll tell you what God did in the midst of it. Until then, understand that to live this faith adventure, sometimes it means I've got to obey even when I don't understand it. Other times it means I've got to give even when I don't have it. But God said it, therefore I will trust that he will provide it after I've made the commitment. Principle number three is trusting even when I don't feel it. This is huge. Sometimes living this faith adventure requires trusting even when I don't feel it. Go back to Hebrews 11. This time we're talking about Moses, verses 24 to 27. It was by faith that Moses, when he grew up, refused to be called Pharaoh's grandson. He chose to suffer with God's people instead of enjoying sin for a short time. He thought it was better to suffer for Christ than to have all the treasures of Egypt because he was looking for God's reward. By faith, he left Egypt and wasn't afraid of the king's anger. Some of you may be familiar with the story. Charlton Heston goes to Yule Brenner and says, let my people go. You know, you hadn't read the book, but you've seen the movie, so you kind of got a feel for it. Uh, and he walked away from the riches of having been raised in Pharaoh's household, walked away from all of that because he'd rather have God's blessings than the riches of, of the Pharaoh, and so he took a risk and, and did what God told him to do. I dare say there was some human emotion in that equation when he found himself in the desert tending sheep, when just the other day he was eating the finest of the land with servants all around him. I dare say there was some emotions, some human feelings, some flesh involved in that deal, but he preferred the blessings of God over the comforts of, of Egypt. He came to a point where he said, who am I? Where is my allegiance? So let me just be clear, and I'll bring this home for us 
the, uh, every one of us find ourselves in those places where we have decisions to make. Am I going to do the right thing or the easy thing? You figured out that the right thing is rarely the easy thing? You figured that I say that again? That the right thing is rarely the easy thing? I like easy. I don't feel like doing the hard thing. Well, you, know, you understand the difference between successful people and unsuccessful people? Let me just put it in, in the world's terms. You understand the difference? Successful people are willing to do things that unsuccessful people are not. It's that simple. Olympic athletes train harder than other athletes. They spend more time. They train longer than more athletes. Whether they feel like it or not, they're in the gym at 5 o'clock in the morning. They're on the track at 5 o'clock in the morning. Whether they feel like it or not. Super salesmen make calls when the average salesman's at home watching TV. That's what you do. That's how you get there. Christians walk in faith even when they don't feel like it. They're people who make choices in life. They choose. Hear me, guys. They choose to discipline themselves to read the Word of God even when they just finished reading and they don't know what they just read. You ever done that? Revelation says it's the only book in existence that you get a blessing just for reading it. Even if you don't understand it, you get a blessing just for reading it. So Christians who, who choose this faith life, this adventure life, read whether they feel like it or not. They study whether they feel like it or not. In January, we're kicking off a series where we're going to really dig deep in the life of this church, and we're going to give you a chart to read through the Bible in a year, and together as a congregation, we're going to read through the Word of God next year. And I'm challenging you right now to go ahead and set your mind to it. We're going to go through the Word of God. You've done it before? Well, it won't hurt you to do it again. It'll be my seventh time through. I can hardly wait to get started. I want to start now, but I'm going to wait. Disciplined Christians attend church regularly, whether they feel like it or not. They break out of their comfort zone and get real about what's going on in their lives with a group of people that they trust and have relationships with. When things get hard in their marriage, they don't bail. They go after it. They address it. They fix it. They get help while everybody else is quitting. They find themselves in a parenting situation. They just don't know what the world I'm going to do with these kids. They go get some training on parenting. Mops is doing a thing this week for mothers of preschoolers up to, I think, age six. And so if that's your category, mom, then here's a chance for you to get in with other moms and get support and help and encouragement. We've got bridge groups that are dealing with these issues. You, you get into it. You discipline yourself, whether you feel like it or, or not. And the result is these people walk where faith Walks and ultimately they get to see the rewards. I've got to wrap this up, but there's one more question that I think we need to address because here's the question I get when I talk about some of these things. Well, Jim, I, I, I hear what you're saying, and that sounds like a wonderful adventure. I wish I had, I wish I had that kind of faith. I, I, just, I, just, I don't have the faith to obey when I don't understand it. I don't have the faith to give when I don't have it. I don't have the faith to trust I, even when I don't feel like it. I, I just don't. I want to. I just, I just don't. Where do I, where do I get that kind of faith? I'm so glad you asked. Romans chapter 10, verse 17. Come on, let's read it together. One, two, three, go. Faith comes from hearing the word of 
God. As you read God's Word, I encourage you to read it out loud, hear yourself reading it. You know why I get you to read the verses with me when I'm preaching? You know why I do that? Because I frankly don't care whether you remember what I said or not. I want you to hear yourself reading the Word of God. I want the Bible to get in. I want you to say, man, the Lord spoke to me today. Who was preaching? I can't remember. I don't know. But the Word of God spoke to my heart. Faith comes from hearing the Word of God, which is another reason we do bridge groups around here because if all you're doing is eating one meal a week on Sunday mornings, you're probably malnourished. And you wonder why you don't have the strength to deal with the stuff that life throws at you. Get into a group. Get into a study during the week. Get into the Word of God and let God speak into your life. And faith will begin to grow because the more you know about Him, the more trustworthy you realize He is. Have you ever seen somebody from a distance that you admired, but the closer you got to them, the more you went, ugh. Not me, hopefully, but, you know, <laughs> that ain't God. The closer you get to him, the more you're going to love him. The more you're going to see how much he loves you. You're going to recognize that he has nothing but your good interest in his heart. When he calls you to obey, whether you understand or not, give whether you have or not, trust whether you feel like it or not. And I can tell you, what will happen when you do. I know from personal experience, but more importantly, I know from the Word of God. Ephesians 3.20, come on, let's read it together. Read it out loud. Read it like you believe it. With God's power working in us, God can do much, much more than anything we can ask or Imagine, what do you want from God? If I told you right now to close your eyes and dream the biggest dream you can think of, the biggest thing God could ever use you for, I can tell you one thing about it. No matter how big you think it is or how scared it makes you, the one thing I know about it is if it's from God, he's got more than that in mind for you because it's more than you're capable of thinking, dreaming, or imagining. but it requires faith. So how much are you willing to believe him for? I look back on my life, this kid from Bladenboro, and I go, wow, look what God did. Look what God is doing. Look at the positions that he's put me in. Look at the opportunities he's given me. Not because I'm anything special. I'm just a kid from a little town. But a long time ago I said, you show me where, I've already decided I will. You show me how much, I've already decided I'll write the check. You tell me what to do, and I've already decided whether I feel like it or not. Here we go. And God's blessed my life more than I can imagine. I want that for you. I want that for every one of you. Can I pray for that now? Father, thank you. Thank you for being that kind of God who always has our best interest at heart for for the kind of heavenly Father who has great plans for us. And yes, sometimes those plans stretch us. Sometimes those plans call us to go beyond what we feel like or go beyond what we have or go beyond what we can see and understand. Thank you that if we will just take a risk to trust you, 
that we can find ourselves living this abundant life, fulfilling life, this adventure life that you created us for. Help us to rise above the mundane, rise above the circumstances of day-to-day living and see your blessing in our lives. We're going to thank you for the way you do it. We're going to look back and say, wow, look what God did with my one and only life simply because I trusted him. Keep your heads bowed for just a minute. I'm not going to keep you much longer, but I do want you to pray with me. Pray in your own words, out loud, silently, I don't care, but I want you to pray. Not just repeat these words necessarily, though if the words are good, use them. But I want you to pray, Lord, help me to trust you. Help me to put my faith not in what I can see, but in what you can see. Give me the faith to be a giver that doesn't give based on reason, but on what you reveal. Help me to discipline myself to do the things you've called me to do, whether I feel like it or not, to operate based on truth, not feelings. And I thank you in advance by faith for the way you're going to multiply those commitments for the blessing of my life and the building of your kingdom. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen. Would you stand with me this morning? The prayer team's coming. They'll be here in the altars in just a moment. If you need to pray with somebody before you leave, please take advantage of that opportunity. Let's become a people of adventure. Let's become a people of faith. You already are. I see it demonstrated over and over and over again. Let's take it to an HNL. Let's just go to a whole new level of trusting God and watch what he does for us. If you if you prayed that prayer, really love to know, just put I prayed on your connect card. The ushers are at the door on your way out. Just give them those connect cards on your way out. First time guests, please go by the VIP center and turn your card in so we can give you a gift. And over here by the coffee shop, I'll be there in just a minute. If we haven't met yet, I'd love to meet you. Some of the staff is there. We'd love to see you at our guest gathering today, okay? Father, thank you for the privilege now of being in the house of the Lord, of hearing the word of the Lord. And I pray that you would challenge us, stretch us, grow us, And in the process, bless us in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. God bless you guys. We'll see you next Sunday.